I am so glad that you're joining with me today, this weekend, as we are continuing our series, Motley Crew. So whether you are joining us online, whether you're at the Appleton campus or the Brookfield campus, the Germantown campus or the Milwaukee campus, welcome. If this is your very first weekend, so delighted to have you with us. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and welcome to Life Church. Again, we're beginning, we began this series, Motley Crew, last week, and this week we're in week two, so you're right at the very beginning. This series, Motley Crew, it's not about the band from the 80s, it's about the disciples. When you look at what the definition of Motley Crew is, it's not the band of the 80s, it is a kind of a mismatched group of individuals that are kind of brought together. And that's exactly what Jesus does with the 12 disciples, the men that he chooses to change the world. They are from all backgrounds and essence within the context of Jerusalem and the Judean countryside. They are um, they're very different, very different temperaments, personalities, educational levels. Uh, just again, uh, just a complete motley crew of individuals, but Jesus brings them together. This week, I want to talk about probably the preeminent of those 12, and his name is Peter. Peter's name is mentioned more in the New Testament than any other disciple. Peter is the one that will be in the inner circle. So Jesus kind of had favorites. Sorry to bust your bubble, but he did. And so he loved the 12, and he picked them, and he chose them. But out of the 12, there were the three. There were the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And so Peter is this one that, that, is, that we see with Jesus. We see interacting with Jesus. We, we see more of the interaction with Peter and Jesus than any other, any other disciple. It's also Peter that will be the leader of the New Testament church because Jesus will call him out to do just that. Now, when we read scripture and we look at this, sometimes we kind of sanitize it in a way because we've known these stories and we know some of these individuals, these characters, if you will, uh, from, from a vacation Bible school or Sunday school or, or hearing it, uh, the stories told over and over. So we kind of have a bias, but I really want to look at who Peter was. Yes, he was a Jew. Yes, he, he was, a, he was a, uh, an Israeli. He, he would have followed Judaism. Uh, he would have gone to synagogue. He was all of that. He, he served Jehovah God, the God of the Old Testament. Uh, but he's a very complex individual. And not only is he complex, he is, um, he's fraught with quite a bit of, of very exposed weaknesses. Again, not quite the person that you think that Jesus would pick to lead the church when he ascends to unto heaven. But he does. And I want to look at, at not just his strengths, but I want to look at his weaknesses today. I want to connect a couple of dots today. I'm going to kind of quilt some major passages in the New Testament. I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 16. So if you want to open your Bible to there, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to get there in just a moment. And then I'm going to kind of go through some major passages. Some of them I'm just going to reference. Some of them I'm going to read. And if I read them, they're going to be on the screen. But as we get to Matthew chapter 16... What's happening is Jesus is about halfway through his earthly ministry. And so he's been with the disciples now. He's been with Peter now for about a year and a half, 18 months, somewhere in that ballpark. And he's taking the disciples kind of on a retreat. He's, he's taking them outside of the normal Jerusalem, Galilean area. And he's going to take them north uh, to a Roman city called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi would be like a modern-day Vegas, if you would. It, would. it would. it would be what you would call kind of sin city. It was the epicenter of pagan worship. 
and it's actually where uh, there's actually a place uh, that that they would go and and uh, sacrifice. Uh, there were human sacrifices because the, the 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 ground would open up and it was all a rock formation all the way around with a hole and and they believed because of Roman and Greek mythology that that this was a gateway. Any time there was that type of a, of a water structure and a hole in the ground and it's coming up and all, it's it's basically it's a pathway to the underworld. And so they would literally go and sacrifice human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, all types to whatever gods, whatever worship they would do. And they would sacrifice in there. Now, remember, Rome and Roman society was not a monotheistic society. They didn't believe in one God or a God. They believed they were a multi-theistic. They believed that much like a, almost a Hindu type of, of, of a religion, that, that there were multiple gods and that God manifested himself in multiple ways. And, you, and, and Roman society would allow you to worship whatever God you wanted to worship as long as Caesar was preeminent, as long as, as, you know, as the emperor was, was preeminent. And so... Um, and so, so, so we see this is where Jesus takes the disciples. So not exactly what you would think that the Savior of the world would take these 12 men who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he does this. And this area is actually called the gates of hell. That's what they would have. Because again, it was this gateway to the underworld. It was a gateway to the dark. It was a gateway and, and the sacrifices and all that that went on there. And at this place, we pick up Jesus's interaction and communication really with Peter. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Verse 15, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus asked Peter this question, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter replies, Messiah, the son of God. And so he's asking, Jesus is in this conversation with all 12 of the disciples about an identity. He is, and, and again, Jesus never does anything just because. And so he's leading this journey in this conversation. And so he's, he's asking them to identify who he is. And then once Peter speaks up and says, hey, you're the Messiah, the son of God. Then he goes to Peter and he says, look, what you understand, and this, this is revealed to you, not by flesh and blood. You didn't hear me or somebody else or a rabbi or in synagogue, somebody talking about this, but rather this is what the Holy Spirit, God himself at work in your life has revealed to you. And you're going to be blessed so much so that he goes from P Jesus asking Peter of his identity to Jesus identifying and solidifying the calling and the identity of Peter. He says, you will be now, I tell you that you are Peter. Now that word Peter uh, in, in the original Greek is the word Petros, which means pebble or small stone. Uh, it's not a boulder, it's not foundational, it is, but, but, but it's substance, it's consistency is, is firm and well-defined, it, it's, it's a rock. And, and, and he said, and then not only that, but on this rock, will I build my church 
Now, some have misconfused that, well, that, well, so he calls Peter the rock and he says, I'm Peter, I'm going to build my church. Well, the problem is, is that, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the foundation of the church, that man is flawed. So therefore, Peter can't be the foundation of the church. But even more than that, uh, the Greek language, the word that's used for rock on, on this rock, I will build my church. That word rock is not Petros. It is the word Petra, which is the, it's just the word, which is stratum. So, which means foundation. It's a, it's a, it's and so, so Peter is this small rock, this Petros, but Jesus says on the foundational rock, which we know is Jesus, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell. So all the pagan worship and all of hell itself will never come against and overcome the church that's being built up on the foundation, which is the strata, the Petra, the foundational rock. But Peter, make no mistake, you are a part, you are a part of what I am doing. You're, you're part of the consistency of this overall church. You're, you are an individual who is going to be instrumental and crucial and critical to what I'm doing. You are Petros, you're a small portion of the Petra, the large strata of what I'm going to do, which is me. Pretty cool. He calls his identity there. And he's kind of given this contrast between Peter being a part of and consistent with, but not the totality of when it comes to the church. So what does this mean for Peter? So Peter's a fisherman from Galilee. Peter is passionate, but he's also very impulsive, reactive, rash, quick tempered. He's a fix-it kind of a guy, but he's also kind of a fighter and a brawler. We're going to see that. Peter's not refined. Peter's not eloquent. Peter's not steady or calm or cool or collective the way we view it. Some made him out to be illiterate, but the problem with that is, is then how can an illiterate man write, well, the books of First and Second Peter in the New Testament? He had to have some ability of education. He had to have some ability to be able to do that. But he's not Paul who will write, you know, most of the New Testament. He's not Matthew who's going to be a detailed individual and an accountant that will write the, the genealogy of Jesus in the first book of the New Testament. He won't be Luke who will write the gospel of Luke and, and go on to write the, the, the record of the book of Acts. But he is definitely not someone that you would say, hey... You're going to be the leader. He, he's calling him out to be the leader of the New Testament church. You're, you're, you're going to be the called one. You're going to be this. And, 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 and how does this fisherman from Galilee who kind of has a kind of a hodgepodge of an education, who's very reactive and, 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 and probably not, you know, uh, quick tempered and probably not the, the, the most cool level headed leader. And, and again, all the leadership books would say, do it this way. And Peter does it the opposite way. How does God use that? How does that work? Again, I go back to, that's a series title, a motley crew. Well, let me explain this. First statement I want to give you is that Peter was never defined by his failures. Peter wasn't defined by his failures. Let me say that one more time. It's going to be on the screen. Peter wasn't defined by his failures. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 14, just before this particular place at Caesarea Philippi, you see where he 
you see where he tries to walk on water and he sinks. Let's just look at this. I'm going to read this for you. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, the disciples, walking on the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Again, this would have been a common thought that on open water, ghosts and spirits and all kinds of things happened. And so and you can imagine, it's almost like the, the mind of a six-year-old and the imagination. These are grown adults, but this is what the mystical type of ideologies that would have been floating around in the first century would have said. So they think this is a ghost and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you or why did you doubt? Again, the other 11 disciples are in the boat, but Peter's out of the boat walking on the water. So good for Peter. Again, he's going to do it. He's going to be in the middle of it. He's in the middle of it before he realizes what's going on. But he's still, man, the wind and the waves and anything else that's going around, it's like his, his, his vision is off of Jesus and immediately he begins to sink and, and, and begins to doubt and his faith and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, but Peter's not defined by this failure. He tries and he fails, but he doesn't give up and he doesn't give in. He doesn't give up and he doesn't give in. And I just want to stop right there and just say, maybe you're out of the boat and maybe you're not perfect. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're trying really hard, but, but sometimes fear comes in. And sometimes you feel like you're sinking and God grabs you and says, hey, just trust me. Why don't you just trust me? Oh, you have little faith. The thing about Peter is, is he didn't give up. He doesn't quit trying. He, 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 he doesn't, he just keeps going after it. He just keeps trying to learn. He just keeps trying to, there's this willingness because he doesn't let his failures define who he is. Uh, go on to the very end. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase this one, but in John's gospel, chapter 18, it's, it's uh, Jesus is there with the guards, uh, excuse me, in the garden of Gethsemane with the disciples before the, the, the uh, temple guards are going to come and take him uh, to, to be tried and then ultimately be crucified. And when they come, one of the temple guards named Malchus goes to reach for Jesus and Peter pulls out a sword and slices the guy's ear off. I mean, just hacks, severs his ear. Jesus picks up the ear of Malchus, puts it on and immediately heals him. Uh, if I'm Malchus, I am like, this is the son of God. I'm not touching this guy. And then Jesus looks at Peter and is just like, hey, get it together. Put your sword away. This is what I came to do. Don't, I mean, for three and a half years, I've been telling you. I've been, I, you, you know, again, he's been a part of the inner circle. You, if anybody of the 12 knows, you know, this is what I came for. We just been talking, we've talked about this, the last supper and now praying in the garden of Gethsemane and all this kind of stuff. I mean, just put your sword away. Again, he overreacts. He doesn't think he creates a mess that Jesus has to clean up, but he's still not defined by his failure. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, when you look at the life of Peter, look at a guy who tried and failed multiple times, yet he never gave up. 
And if that's where you are today, you feel like, man, you don't know the sorrows I've been through, Aaron. You don't know the trouble I've been through. You know the failures that I faced. I'm telling you, if you'll be like Peter and you'll just fail forward, oh, you may crash and burn. You may be scolded by Jesus. He may look at you and say, why do you doubt me? Oh, you have little faith. Put your sword away. Pay attention right here. At one point in time, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was just in the middle of everything. I mean, Jesus probably felt like he was hurting toddlers when he was with Peter. And, but, but yet, <laughs> Peter doesn't quit. He just keeps leaning into Jesus, keeps leaning into Jesus, keeps leaning into Jesus. Peter says more wrong things than any, he just keeps leaning into Jesus. And I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient. It was for Peter, it'll be for you. Second statement I wanna give you is that Peter wasn't defined by his fumbling faith. Peter wasn't defined by his fumbling faith. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Jesus is being tried. He's not yet gone to the cross. And they seize him. And Jesus has already told Peter, you're going to deny me? And Peter says, never. I'll go with you to the end. I'm there with you to the end, God. I'm with you 100%. Look at it in verse 54, Luke chapter 22. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance, verse 55. And when some were there, they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat down with them and a servant girl saw him and seated uh, there in the firelight. And she looked at him closely and said, "This this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. He said, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Verse 59, but an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I mean, this guy goes from, he can't stay awake in the garden of Gethsemane to he cuts off the soldier's ear who tries to take Jesus away to he completely cowers in the accusation of a schoolgirl. I mean, you, you, you want to talk about volatile, impulsive, not the steady rock that Jesus calls him to be just a few months earlier in Caesarea Philippi. He's not, (laughs) I mean, again, we see him and I'm going to talk about this in a minute on the day of Pentecost standing up and giving a message and 3000 people get saved. How does he get there? He fumbles his way multiple times. He drops a proverbial ball. He, he falls up short. He, he, he folds like a cheap suit. I, I don't know how else to say it. He just, but when you read that, when I read that, the humanity that's there. How many times have I denied him? Have I distanced myself? I'm not a Christian. I'm not connected with those people. I'm not a Christ follower. I'm not a, I mean, I used to think that only happened like in middle school and high school, kind of peer pressure, but it happens as grown adults. 
Oh, no, I'm not a part of that group. No, I don't attend that church. No, no, I, I you know, like, I mean, you go into a restaurant and I, I don't want people to see me pray because then they're going to think I'm this or, or I'm not going to post this online because it's going to associate me with, with someone who's maybe a Jesus freak or a fanatic or, or I just, you know, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to kind of just kind of just kind of just be around. And we do that. Yet God calls us. And he loves us. Peter wasn't defined by his fumbling faith. Third statement, final statement, is that Peter was defined by Jesus's forgiveness. Peter was defined by Jesus's forgiveness. I think this is something we can all identify with. He's reinstated by Jesus himself. John's gospel chapter 21. I'm gonna read this for you in just a second. Jesus is gone and he's died on the cross. He's been in the grave for three days. He rose from the grave, just like he said he would. And now he is interacting with the disciples. And Peter, because of where we left him when he denied Jesus in the courtyard before the rooster crowed three times, Peter's left. Peter is so like, man, I'm a failure. Uh, God loved me, he called me and I just can't do this. And I, I'm just worthless. And what does he do? He goes back to what he was doing before Jesus, fishing. Isn't that what we do? God finds you in some messed up situation. God finds you in some dead end place. God finds you just trading days for dollars. And all of a sudden he comes in, he does this great work in your life, but you have this epic fail or so you feel and, and you let the enemy of your soul condemn you. And what do you do? You walk away from church or you walk away from this. Maybe you're watching today and that's where you are. You're not even at church, not because of COVID-19, but simply because of the fact that you just, you don't understand Aaron, I'm a failure. I, 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 God called me, God did all this and God rescued me, but man, I, I've fallen off the wagon and this is where I'm at and I'm just not good enough. And I'm just wanting you to know that's exactly where Peter was. And Jesus does exactly what Jesus always does. He goes to him. And when he goes to him, he finds him fishing. And there at the sea, he has this conversation. John chapter 21, verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I mean, more than all the other disciples. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third, the third time, verse 17, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Anytime you see things in triplicate in scripture, it's trying to get your attention. Every time the redundancy is not there because they don't have words to fill it. Jesus is not asking this just because he is emphasizing, he is honing in on this. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's he doing? He's reminding him of the call. He's reminding him of that day where, where on that sea of Galilee, that very sea that they're there, that, that he called him from fishing for, fishing for fish to fishing for men. That he called him and that, and that on that day, Peter left everything and he followed Jesus. And for the last three and a half years, he's been 
following Jesus. Not perfectly. He's been making mistakes. He, he's been coming up short. He's been reactive and impulsive and all those things. But yet Jesus still called him. He's reminding him of, of, of Caesarea Philippi halfway in the journey where Jesus calls him out and says, you're not the foundation that I'm going to build the church on. I'm the foundation I'm going to build the church on. I'm the foundation that Isaiah says that was slain from the foundation. I'm the lamb that's slain from the foundation of the earth. I'm going to be that, but you are going to be a part of that foundation. And the consistency of that foundation, which is Jesus, is the same consistency that's in you. As Paul would say, the power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Peter, the same consistency of the rock, of the Petra, is going to be in you, the Petros. It's a smaller version, but it's that same integrity. It's that same character. And I did not call that out of you for you to fish for fish. I did this for you to fish from men and to change the world. And I'm asking you again, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Then Jesus says, then quit fishing for fish and go fish for men. Take care of my sheep. It's that moment where forgiveness comes in, healing comes in, and it resonates with Peter. That in his faults, in his failures, in his shortcomings, in his fumbling faith, in his failings, that God knew that when he called him and that his grace would be sufficient for him. That, his, that, that Peter, his weakness would actually produce the strength of God in that moment. And that God had a plan for him. See, calling doesn't lift and it doesn't change because of your failure. You can never fail so much that God's calling lifts on your life, that God's grace lifts on your life. See, our world discards things when they're broken, when they fail, but God does not discard. Let me say that again. Our world, when something's broken, we throw it away. The weed eater's broken, we throw it away. This appliance is broken, we throw it away. The zipper on the pants, we just throw, we throw it away. Whatever it is, we just throw it away. God never throws anything away. No, he's God. He's perfect. And he knows all of your weaknesses, yet he called you. He knows all of the ways that you are going to fail, yet he chooses you. Peter, excuse me, Jesus knew Peter's weaknesses, yet he chose him and he called him. And what happens? Well, Jesus says, hey, in the book of Acts that, that you're going to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happens. Acts chapter two, verses one through four, the Holy Spirit shows up in a, an amazing way. And I don't have time to go into all this, but as you read on in verse 14, all the way to the end, Peter preaches the message with boldness. This man who just weeks before cowered in the presence of the accusation of a schoolgirl in the courtyard outside the high priest's house in Jerusalem. He's now standing in the center of Jerusalem and he is proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And 3,000 of the thousands of people that were there hear the message and are saved and their lives are transformed. Why? Because the reality is, is that Peter allowed the grace of God to work in his life. Peter did not allow his fumbling faith or his failures to define him, but he receives the forgiveness that only comes from Jesus. 
And that's where you and I are today. That's the reason why I'm preaching about Peter today. Is wherever you are and whatever's going on, whatever you've done, know this. God loves you and has a plan for your life. And that doesn't change. So what do I do, Aaron? Confess your sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Faithful, he'll do it every single time. Just, he has the power to do it. And what I think the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart right now is reminding every one of us of what he's called us to do, what he's called us to be. And we wanna go back and point to our weaknesses, but he's calling us, calling us, relentlessly calling us and reminding us that he knew way back when of our failures and our weaknesses, yet he chose us, he called us. And our failures and our weaknesses don't discard us or disqualify us, yet they actually are the place where his grace becomes pronounced. I wanna pray for you today. I wanna pray for you in this moment. And I'm gonna ask you just to kind of quiet your heart before the Lord. Maybe bow your head and close your eyes and just, just check over your own heart, your own spirit as I pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, search our hearts. We're all human. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. So I just pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the calling that you have. Remind us of the place that you have. Remind us of the love that you have. Remind us that we are yours just as you did with Peter. And that our failures and our shortcomings, our fumbling faith don't define us. What defines us is the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. Help us today to give whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is, give it to you and allow your grace, your redemption, your restoration to work in our lives. Lord, it's not that you just don't, we can go do what we wanna do. Oh, no, 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 no. We need to confess. We need to repent, which, we, which, means, which means we change. But you give us the strength and the power to be forgiven and to be changed and to leave here, wherever here is, whether we're online or at a campus, here, changed and different. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.